You are listening to National Security Law Today. I'm Elisa Poteet, and welcome to National Security Law Today, the podcast of the Standing Committee on Law and National Security. We continue our series on China next week with some interesting news about the looming threat posed by China's shifting demographics. But in the meantime, we're bringing you a quick news roundup since events have been very quick this week. First, China president slash premier for life, Xi Jinping, traveled to Russia for a 10-day state visit where he was offered vodka and sandwiches, kind of an interesting combination, by a needy Vladimir Putin. Early word from this visit is that it was set up to create an economic and trade alliance as opposed to a military one. Watchers fear that China's trade will involve weapons that can be used to advance Russia's violent efforts in Ukraine. But national security experts noted, rather, that China has the upper hand in this bromance, which was reflected in the photos that showed President Xi appearing taller and wider than Mr. Putin. Metaphoric, symbolic. As of this recording, China has not accepted Putin's efforts to install the Power of Siberia 2 pipeline that Putin wanted to run through Mongolia. She is suddenly looking even taller. Radio Free Europe reported that she issued a statement which read simply, blandly, we signed a statement on deepening the strategic partnership and bilateral ties, which are entering a new era. That was it. Russian state television broadcast the signing of the ceremony held in the Kremlin on the second of the three-day visit by Xi to the Russian capital. And she paid tribute to the, quote, constructive talks that he held with Putin. That's kind of it. And Putin will be hoping for allies after the International Criminal Court has charged him. Here's the statement from the court. The president of the Russian Federation is allegedly responsible for the war crime of unlawful deportation of population paren children and that of unlawful transfer of population, meaning children, from occupied areas of Ukraine to the Russian Federation this offense occurring under Articles A2A7 and A2B8 of the Rome Statute. If you haven't read the Rome Statute, read the Rome Statute. Neither the U.S. nor Russia are signatories. The crimes were allegedly committed in Ukrainian-occupied territory for at least the period from 24 February of 2022. And further, the court said there are reasonable grounds to believe that Mr. Putin bears individual criminal responsibility for the aforementioned crimes. Now, why? You might be wondering, what is that charging theory? Well, first, for having committed the acts directly or jointly with others and or through others, which is the violation of Article 253A of the Rome Statute, and two, for his failure to exercise control properly, rather, over civilian or military subordinates who committed the act. Now, let me add that Putin wasn't the only person that was charged. So was Maria Alexeyevna, sorry about that, listeners, Lvova Velova, who apparently is the commissioner for the ironically named Children's Rights Office of the President of the Russian Federation. She too now should worry about traveling outside of Russia, where she could be scooped up on these charges. And last week, shifting here for a minute, we learned something interesting about Facebook, the platform that was used by Cambridge Analytica to pump out falsehoods regarding the 2016 presidential election and to further divide Americans. According to a report in Politico EU, a meta, as Facebook is now named, leader confessed the following. We've done more extensive surveys on political content, 
it turns out the people don't want to see very much political content on Facebook and Instagram. Therefore, we need to adjust ourselves. Please undertake this adjustment. I, for one, would prefer to see beautiful mountainscapes, coters, sewing tips, and not someone trying to raise millions of dollars to be reelected by pushing Americans into extreme corners and away from each other. Now back to China. Remember the debacle that was Evergrande, the Chinese development company that took prepayments for apartments across China and then collapsed from its own corporate malfeasance? Weeks before the company left many in China's rising middle class without their life savings, the CEO was discovered to have thrown a billion-dollar party. So extravagant and over-the-top, it sounded like an episode of Silicon Valley. China is learning some companies are too big to fail because Evergrande has now announced its debt restructuring plan that will cover its $20 billion in debt, much of it held offshore and outside of China. Now, America's ally in the Middle East, Israel, has seemed on the brink of civil war after Prime Minister Netanyahu took powers away from this Israeli Supreme Court. But breaking defense reports that, according to government sources, the Israeli Ministry of Defense paused a large arms sales to some Middle Eastern nation when the Saudi Arabian and Iranian deal was announced. Journalist Ari Agosi reports that Israel is also realizing that it has to deal with the very obvious Chinese effort to become a major player in the Gulf region and in Africa, which puts Jerusalem in a pretty tricky situation. And supposedly for years, the Israelis have been trying to disentangle themselves from relationships with Beijing. Breaking Defense also reports that they've been warned by the U.S. to take needed action while letting Chinese companies work on major programs in Israel that have defense issues. And Nebulon, a Ukrainian company you may have heard of because it's the one that turned Ukraine into the breadbasket of the world, is reportedly fighting for its life. Russian soldiers attacked its largest silo grain terminal in its corporate headquarters, which they ransacked and left some nasty notes written in lipstick, of all things. Russia's blockade of the Black Sea has choked off the main export routes for this very important company, according to reporting in the Financial Times. Grain, just so you know, accounted for 13% of the Ukrainian economy before the Russian invasion. Now, Russia just keeps adding to its possible war crimes. And speaking of Russia, its profits, its business profits in that country have halved since the war in Ukraine, including the earnings at some of the businesses who are clearly in the business of paying the Russian President Putin, whose wealth as a career government employee is believed to rival that or exceed that of Jeff Bezos. Now, the Wall Street Journal reports something else, and that is about the Taliban, and that is that the Taliban leadership is having to rethink its policy forbidding the education of girls, unpersuaded by decades of hard data that show female literacy, education, and postponed childbearing are associated with countries having far higher GDPs, lower crime, and overall better health, the Taliban has learned that it is losing the battle to fight secret schools for girls. And what else they're learning is that some within the Taliban leadership have placed their own daughters in these secret schools. So here's to Afghan girls during this Women's History Month. May you live long and prosper. And may the lie that subjugating women will allow greater control of a populace die a fast and permanent death even in the land of the Taliban. 
Now, if you think we've forgotten about the importance of the Japanese premier's visit to Kiev, we have not. This first visit by a Japanese premier to a country at war since World War II is an important moment in international diplomacy and is more thoroughly reported this week in the Wall Street Journal. We invite you to take a look. Thank you for listening. We will see you next week as we continue our entire series on China. The views expressed on national security law today have not been approved by the House of Delegates or the Board of Governors of the American Bar Association, and this recording should not be construed as representing ABA policies.